we are going through this uh, series um, on Christmas carols. And the song, O Holy Night, was actually written in the mid-1800s. So listen to this story. The organ was restored at a church, and a priest approached a man in a small village named Placide Capot. He was a poet. He was a French wine merchant. And the priest said, would you please write a poem, you're really good at writing poems, to Luke chapter 2. And the man said, I've never read Luke chapter 2. I don't even believe in the God that you're talking about. And the priest said, I have a new organ, write the poem, okay? <laughs> we, we need a new song. And so Capo was not a believer in Jesus. In fact, he was known in that city as a bit of a hellraiser. He was very far from God, and he didn't go to church at all, but he was a good poet. So he wrote this poem, and he loved it so much, he, he, he called his friend up, who was also not a Christian, and he said, I want you to put this poem to music. And the po this song became so popular that it ran through the Catholic Church. It was played in all sorts of churches uh, until a few years into it when everyone realized who wrote this song. And they said, get out of here. Shut this song down. But it was too late. It was too late. The song was massively popular then as it is today. So then about five decades later in 1906, Reginald Fessenden was a 33-year-old Canadian professor who did what many people thought was impossible. He made a makeshift generator, and he plugged a microphone into it. And I think I have a picture. And he broadcast the first AM broadcast in the history of the world with this clunker on Christmas Eve in 1906. And he took Luke chapter 2, he read it into the microphone, he read the Christmas story, and then he took his violin and he played into the microphone the first song broadcasted across airwaves in all the history of the world was this song. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. This month we're diving into theology. We're diving into the core of some of these classic songs that we sing together, that we sing almost every Christmas that you hear all the time, but we don't want it to be mundane or average. We want to remember that every single Christmas season, why it's so important to us. And this carol, O Holy Night, is referencing one very special set-apart night in the history of the world. And I wanna read about it in the scripture today, the same scripture that they read in 1906 over the airwaves in Luke 2, one through seven. It says this, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. 
So when we take a closer look at this holy night, when we take a closer look at it, this is what we see. We see a ruler yielding his power to make all people travel and be registered so he could take count of everyone so he could control them more. He wanted to know where everybody was and what they were doing so that he could control people more. We see a very, very, very pregnant teenager forced to be take an 80-mile donkey ride. Eh. We see a poor couple with the dilemma of finding a room to give birth to in their first child, which is terrifying as it is. There are no doctors or midwives to help Mary. She's on her own. From my own personal experience, I can't imagine Joseph was very much help in those moments. <laughs> we watch as Christ enters the world into some of the smelliest, filthiest, most uncomfortable conditions. And then Mary puts Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, in a manger, a food trough that animals probably had eaten out of hours before. And then we see how she wrapped, like she would wrap a newborn, a helpless child, in swaddling clothes. Where you would perhaps expect royalty and government leaders and a big welcome and fanfare of the holy night to honor the king of the universe, there was a few donkeys and a camel and, and probably some mice scurrying at the birth of the savior of the world. It would not appear to me that this would describe a holy night. Is that what you think of? When you think of a holy night, this holy night came with some incredible inconveniences, some intense difficulties, some probably very, very unmet expectations for those involved. But out of that mess, a miracle was born. Out of that mess, a miracle was born. And in the midst of so much imperfection, the night Christ was born can be considered one of the most perfect nights ever in all time. And God used these imperfect circumstances and imperfect location to bring his perfect and holy son into the world. God could have easily made Jesus' birth triumphant. He could have easily made it a big party with comfortable things and make sure that, that everyone had everything they need and, and it was broadcasted all over the world. But it is through this imperfection that made this night so holy and so perfect. And I've never been more thankful for that because I believe that the way God brought his son into the world is very much the same way that he works in our lives that I don't need to be perfect for God to work in me. How many of you say, thank you, Jesus, for that? That I don't need to be perfect, that my whole situation doesn't have to be free of difficulty and free of inconvenience to see the work of God in my life. In fact, this inconvenient night became a holy night because Jesus entered the scene. That's what changed it. This difficult night became a holy night. This awkward night became a holy night. Those disappointments became a holy night. But the thing that changed the night from disappointing to holy was Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King, entered into that situation. And this Christmas, I want you to know that he can change your nights too. That the same God who did it then is ruling and reigning right now. 
And all around you, you might see disappointments and inconveniences and difficulties, and the night isn't feeling very holy. But take heart, because this is the perfect setup for a miracle. That's what he's showing us. This is a perfect setup for a miracle. The song goes on. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Now in John 16, 33, it tells us that the first lyric line of this is scripturally sound. Even though the man who wrote it didn't know the word of God, that this is scripturally sound because Jesus says, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus knew we would feel weary. And so he said, guess what? When you're weary, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Jesus knew those things. He knew it would be hard to exist in the world that we're in. And, and I believe that maybe two words that are still incredibly accurate that were in the 1800s when Capot wrote them and that are now is that how you could describe our world today is weary. Wouldn't you agree? That's how I would describe our world today. Maybe that's how you would describe your world. You feel like you're just fighting to stay above water. You don't know how much longer you can hang on if just something doesn't give. And you live in this weary world all of your own. Take heart because the thrill of hope is happening. Jesus, the Messiah, the promise of God was born. This hope, this thrill of hope makes every weary heart rejoice. And my prayer all week was that if there's any weary world inside of you, that you would experience the thrill of hope. That you would experience the very real and very alive thrill of hope. The song goes on to say, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And I want to just talk a little bit about this morning idea, this new and glorious morning idea. Because I think sometimes this type of mourning feels really far away. It feels really out of reach. We get a little lost in the dark of the night. So I want to start in the Old Testament, the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations, um, actually the name of the book means to passionately express grief and sorrow. And that's what happens in the whole book of Lamentations. So in the year 586 BC, Jerusalem comes to ruin and the people are just distraught, as you could possibly imagine. And there's this prophet, his name is Jeremiah, and he's lamenting, he's whining. He, he, he is hurting along with everybody else. And the scripture records, as he pours his heart out, it's full of hurt in this text. But this is part of what he says, uh, Lamentations 3, 19 through 25. It says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gal. I well remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Now, I love this. I want to just kind of break down this particular passage a little bit, okay? So Jeremiah says in verse 21, 
Um, I'm going to call to mind. Yet this I call to mind. These things I know about God. I love how he's admitting in that moment. It's not in the front of my mind. It's hard to remember. But he is going to place in the front of his mind, Jeremiah says, I will have the thrill of hope when no one else does because I refuse to forget who my God is. I refuse to forget who my God is and the faithfulness of who he is. And I believe we need to do the same thing with the promises and the word of God, that when things feel weary, when things feel dark, when it's inconvenient and difficult, Jeremiah models this to us. He says, call to mind the promises of God. Call them to mind. Put them first in your mind. Filter your life through the promises and the word of God. And then in verse 24, Jeremiah refers to the Lord as his portion. He says, I say to myself, I love it. It's like Jeremiah is saying, I'm preaching this to myself. Okay, I'll preach to you Sunday. You preach to yourself the rest of the week, okay? And then when you come back here, I'll tell you something else. But you've got to say to yourself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And you've got to believe that he's probably walking around looking in the cupboards. There's nothing to feed my family, but the Lord is my portion. I'll wait for him. He's going out, he's going out to, to see what he can do to help his elderly parents, and he has nothing to help them with, and he's saying, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And in fact, sometimes it may have come out like a question, the Lord is my portion, I will wait for him? Yes, Jeremiah. <laughs> but he just continues to bring the promises of God out. And some scholars believe that this portion idea is likely referring back to the time when the Israelites were wandering in the desert and God would provide for them a daily portion of heavenly manna. So every morning when the Israelites would wake up, God would give them exactly enough food for that day. The original portion control. This is what you get. And if you try to hoard it, if you try to take it for the next day, the food would rot. It wouldn't last. And God was trying to teach them this, that they need him every single day. That they can't get by by, by connecting with God on Monday but forgetting about him on Tuesday. That they need him every single day. And in the New Testament, Jesus teaches us the same thing. If you remember when he teaches us how to pray, he says, give us this day, what? Our daily bread. Our daily bread, not our bread for the rest of the year or our bread for the rest of the decade or our bread for the rest of our life. My daily bread because I need God every single day. And so Jeremiah is calling to mind in the middle of his biggest, darkest heartache. The Lord is my daily portion. He's exactly what I need. He has given me everything I need for today. Sometimes when we are facing something so giant, so impossible, so overwhelming, and we just have no idea how we're going to handle it, God reminds us he will give us enough for each day. How will you face tomorrow? How will you face next week or, or next month? You know what? You don't need to figure that out right now. Because God will give you just enough, a measure of strength and peace and hope and faith for today. That's what he says, for this day. And you know, God is already in your tomorrows. He has everything you need for tomorrow, whatever, is, whatever it is. He is absolutely already there. In my mind, it's like he's standing there with a bag full of what you need for that day. And he will give it to you when you get there. He has it. 
He has it for you. But you got to get there and you got to need him. And then he will reach into his bag and he will give it to you. Maybe I've been thinking about Santa Claus analogies too much. I don't know. But he has it. And he's waiting in your tomorrow to make it. The truth is that the Lord is our portion. Jeremiah is preaching this to himself. And it's the content of this whole new and glorious morning. If your marriage is struggling, God is in your tomorrow waiting for you. And he is what your marriage needs. If you are weak today, God is already in tomorrow and his strength will make your weakness perfect. If you are struggling with depression today, he is already in tomorrow and he is your joy. He is the lifter of your head. And a new day with Christ, a new and glorious morning brings exactly what you need because what we need is the presence of God. That's really what we need. His strength, his reality, his power, and his goodness. And God promises you that he will show up tomorrow. So you don't have to worry about that one. And he will have everything that you need. Jeremiah goes on in Lamentations 3.25 and it says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Someone once said this, We as people, we can live 40 days or so without food, We can live eight days or so without water. We can live about four minutes without oxygen, but we can only live a few seconds without hope. We can only live a few seconds without hope. Hebrews 10.23 backs up this Christmas carol's mention of the thrill of hope. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. I love that mental image. He says, Hold on to that thing. Grab a hold of it. As a believer in Jesus, you don't ever let that hope go, not even for a moment, because he is faithful. Lazarus Lazarus in the New Testament, he'd been dead for four days. He was so dead, he was smelling bad. In fact, the King James Version says, he stinketh. (laughs) It says that. You know you're dead when you stinketh, okay? Four days, four days. Everyone had given up hope, everyone. But Jesus shows up. He looks at that stone and he looks at, into that grave and he says, Lazarus, get up and come forth. And Lazarus walks out of the grave into a new and glorious morning. There was a woman 12 years was suffering with this issue of blood, 12 years. Can you imagine the pain, the embarrassment, the humiliation, the the torture, the private suffering of her soul for 12 years? Every day, hoping this will be the day. Maybe this will be the day. Am I stuck with this? Is there any hope? Am I going to live with this every day of my life? And one day, unplanned, unexpected, she sees Jesus. She touches the hem of his garment, and she is immediately healed. The thrill of hope meets her in that moment. One man, 38 years, since the day he was born, was unable to walk. Sat at a pool of Bethesda. And one day when Jesus came up, Jesus looked at him. He says, pick up your mat and walk. And a miracle was birthed right in the middle of his dark night. And you know what? You can insert your story here. You can insert your story here, the faithfulness of God in your life, because Jesus is here, and you can have hope 
even when you feel like you're in the middle of the night. The Lord is good to those who hope in him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. I want to read to you Romans 13, 11 through 12. This is going to be somebody's new favorite verse today. Are you ready? Here's what it says. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. The darkness is nearly over because the sun will rise again. The son of God will come again. And we are nearer to that day than we were yesterday. You can get excited about that. The night is almost over. The day is almost here, and there is a thrill of hope for this weary world when the yonder breaks, a new and glorious morning will come. And that's the takeaway today. That's the thing I want you to leave here remembering is that the night is nearly over, and the day is almost here. And some of you need to take this truth into Monday and into Tuesday and into your workplace and your family and your thoughts and your health and every day, all day long, because the scripture promises that though there may be weeping in the night, joy will come in the morning. And that's a promise. That is a promise from the God of the universe. Now, I started this message by telling you that an unbeliever wrote, O Holy Night. And this tells me something. This tells me that you can know the story of Christmas without knowing the Savior of the world. That you can know the story without knowing the Savior. And if you're here today and you've been looking all over this world for something, just something that lifts the emptiness that you feel. Maybe you've tried things. You've tried relationships. You've tried experiences. You've tried money, you've tried everything, you can't find it. You might even say to me today, you know what, I know the Christmas story, but I want you to know you, that's not enough, that you need to know the Savior. You need to have a relationship with God through Jesus. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're just trying to be a really, really good person, just, just better than most people, and you're hoping that at the end of your life, your good, your good works outweigh your bad moments, that like somewhere along the line, it'll weigh itself out and then you'll experience the salvation of God. I want you to know this morning that scripture says in black and white that we can never be good enough. That's the bad news. Our sin has separated us from a holy God. You can work until you're blue in the face, but you're just gonna end up with a weary heart in a weary world. But there's good news. Your weary world can have a thrill of hope. And his name is Jesus. And he is the son of God who was born of a virgin in a smelly barn. And he grew up and he died on a cross and he rose again so that we could be forgiven. And he took all the punishment that we deserve and he bridged the gap of heaven for us. The band is going to come up and we're going to sing a holy night here in a minute. And I hope you sing it like you've never sang it before. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you a question that is really nothing else matters today except this question. Do you just know the Christmas story or do you know the Savior? 
Do you know the story or do you know the Savior? And if you would like to come into relationship with Jesus, you can do that right now. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no applications to fill out. In fact, your life might be totally messy and difficult and inconvenient and embarrassing and smelly, but you are prime for a miracle of Jesus entering your heart and life. That, that puts you in the best position of all because God says, I used the most imperfect night to birth my most perfect son who can make you perfect because he bridges all of our mistakes and all of our gaps and all of our sin. And so if you would stand up, everyone, if you would stand Here's what I just want to do this morning. If you, if that's you today, if, if, if you want to come into a relationship with Jesus, in just a minute, I'm just going to ask you to just raise your hand so I can pray for you, okay? Just a minute. And everyone's going to close their eyes and no one's going to look around. It's not going to be embarrassing, but it's just going to be you declaring, you know what, Lord, I think I knew the story, but I don't really know you. And I want to know you. And so if you just bow your heads with me, and if you are already a believer in Jesus, you already know the Savior, if you just pray right now for the people in this room that God's working on in this moment. And if you're here today and you, you want to know the Savior, maybe you feel like you never have, would you just raise your hand? Just raise it up so I can see it. Just raise it up. I see, see a couple hands. All right, you can put them down. Would you just pray? Let's just pray this together. If you, if you raised your hand, just, just sort of repeat this with me. It can be under your breath or quietly. Just everybody across this whole room, let's just prayerfully say this together. Jesus, I'm sorry for the way I've sinned against you. <laughs> I repent. I want to be different. Please come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life, the Savior of my soul. I want to learn how to love you most. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I just want you to, would you just thank God for those that made that decision right now? There's, I saw three, I think. Just thank God for that. We don't want to embarrass you. We don't want uh, to do anything to make you feel funny. But if you would, if you would, before you leave today, um, would you just come down here? The, the pastors are going to be right here in this section. We have just a Bible for you. We want to answer any questions you have. We want to celebrate with you. Pastor Don wants to give you a hug because you made the very best decision you could possibly make because in two weeks, Christmas is going to be different for you. And it's going to be different for us because just like Jacob said, we're a family and we are so thankful when we begin to understand more of who God is. And as we sing this song, would you just ask God, all of us, ask God to come into the darkest part of your life, whatever that is, and birth a miracle. Because that's what he did on that holy night. And that's what I believe he wants to do this morning. So let's just sing this with all you got. Make it a prayer today. God, thank you for coming into our darkest parts of our life and birthing a miracle. In Jesus' name.
Jesus, thank you that you sent your son to be born, God, so that we could know you. Thank you for this Christmas season. And we just pray today we would go in your peace and in your hope, walking confidently in the fact that you meet us in our darkest places. God, you birth miracles in those places. God, we expect them and we anticipate them and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.